0: verse 41 to 47 today we are continuing our series as your the, vi- the video and as uh has shown that we're walking through our strategy for making disciples here at Hebrew baptist church last year uh right before covid we had uh, uh shared and announced our our new vision and strategy and uh, of course covid hit and then all you know all of our you know God laid to waste all of man's plans and so then we have to uh pray and think about what's next but we feel that this is uh this is a strategy that's true pandemic or not that this is how the bible points to us how we make disciples and so our our second strategy our second runway is the kind of the terms that we're using the second runway is uh maturing through weekly life groups. So we're going to look at a text that helps us to understand how vital it is to be with other believers in a time to, to grow together in life through the Bible with each other and be matured in our faith. So uh, let's begin by reading Acts chapter 2. We'll read beginning in verse actually 41 and then we'll read to verse 47. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship of breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you as we sing, speak the truth down deep in us. Put it in our hearts that we might obey. Do the work that only you can do through your spirit and through your word that we are changed and that we have the law written on our hearts, not as in fear, but instead a faithful obedience to you because we have been changed by our salvation. We pray, Lord, that as we gather, that we are encouraged, that we hold fast, that we persevere. And that, Lord, today, after we've studied your word, that we would never be the same again. That every one of us listening, no matter how many times we've read this passage, no matter how many times we've heard it preached, no matter how many times we've seen it in a card or in a book, that still your word is true. And that every one of us needs to take a step in maturity in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I've never been, but interestingly, yesterday, my family, we were kind of, you know, I guess in the the winter doldrums, we're talking about trips and things that that we want to to take together, and Franklin had shared uh, he wants to go to a national park, and I think, honestly, he just wants to go to a national forest so he can go hunting somewhere. I think that's really what he wants to do. But uh, we were talking about national parks, and Sarah had said that she'd like to go see the redwood trees that are famous in California, some three to 400 feet in in height, uh, something that we see pictures of and people know about all over the country and think about. And it makes you wonder about those trees. You'd imagine a tree that large and so big that it would have these tremendously equal, if not uh, very impressive roots that go down underneath that tree to keep it strong, to keep it upright. But actually, believe it or not, that scientists and agriculturists tell us that it's not the deep roots that keeps the redwoods strong and upright during winds and storms, but actually a shallow root system. And this shallow root system doesn't mean what we would normally think it to mean, but instead this shallow root system connects, winds, wraps around, and connects to other trees so that they are better together stronger together than they are alone they need each other to survive they need one another as they wrap themselves around each other to go against the wind and storms and so do we as christians we as christians need to depend on each other that we grow and mature in our faith to know that we must grow for instruction encouragement and accountability that we need a specific time in our life to be around other believers, that we have relationships that mature us in our faith. Well, we see in the book of Acts how baby Christians begin their lives and how they begin, under the apostles' teaching, to grow and mature in their faith. And think of this moment in biblical history that there was the twelve, the apostles that, that uh, the newly appointed twelfth one uh, that that took the place of Judas, that was following Jesus and and then we know in the upper room at the beginning of Acts chapter one, there was one hundred and twenty who had gathered together and pray, and the Holy Spirit fell upon them and there was a, there was a great manifestation of the spirit's power. It is followed by this amazing sermon that Peter gives to the people and onlookers there. And what we read in verse 41 is that 3,000 people were saved that day. Now, imagine the undertaking. We would pray with all fervency and, and we would pray with all of our might that 3,000 people in northern Kentucky and Boone County would be, but would be saved overnight, right? We would want that. But many churches and many of us would say, Ah, oh, we've got 3,000 baby Christians, what are we gonna do? Well, I would say that the prescription is the same that has happened in Acts that would be today. One, gathering in worship, and two, getting brothers and sisters in Christ together in small groups to grow in God's word and grow in faithfulness with one another. These folks were from different parts of the world. They were different in their understandings. They Some were Jews. Some were from other, uh, other religions and backgrounds and from other countries. But God, in his sovereignty, saved them and brought them together through salvation in Jesus Christ. And that is the picture of the church, that people from all nations, all tribes, all tongues, all people who are saved by grace are brought into the church and especially in the local church. We are called to come together as believers in our local setting to grow, fellowship, mature in our faith, uh, fulfill the Great Commission and do all this together. But Luke summarizes these four distinguishing marks that happened as they came together. In verse 42, that they committed themselves or devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to fellowship, to breaking of bread, And a prayer. And of course, if it was as good for them, then it's good for us that we should follow the same pattern. We ought to as well love one another with sincerity and and characterize these Christians. But one of the first tests you must apply to yourself or anyone else in order to discover whether or not you're a Christian is to ask yourself do you want to be together with other Christians? That is the result of the working of the Spirit within us, that we are drawn to other people of faith. I remember and think back to when I was a youth, there was a particular youth pastor. It wasn't my youth pastor, but but he was he was a, another youth pastor and there was something that once I was saved, I was drawn to him, that there was a maturity in him, something that I wanted to spend more time with him because I knew if I did, I was gonna take exponential leaps in my faith. And in the same way as we as believers should want to be with other believers, expecting, wanting, desiring to grow one another and mature each other in our faith. So this is the case that we here in Hebrew Baptist Church have said as leaders that here at Hebrew Baptist Church, we must be in a life group. Being in a life group models the fellowship that we find here in the early church and so my hope is is that one that you see your need if you're not in a life group to be in a life group and if you are in a life group to think to yourself to you and your leaders to pray together how does our life group stack up to the early church in what way do we reflect this true fellowship that we see in the bible so in this passage i want us to see four results of maturing as a believer through life groups. Let's take this walk together, if you would. If you're taking notes right now on your phones or your devices or in paper and pen or at home, uh, number one is this. We are matured through life groups by our devotion to the Bible. We're matured through life groups by our devotion to the Bible. Now, note carefully, this this text literally says they are continually devoting themselves to the apostles teaching so uh they continually devoted this was not like a one time a week thing this was not something every once in a while they got together but continually they were going into the apostles teaching this denotes a devotion this word a steadfast uh, a steadfastness single-minded devotion for these baby Christians, these new believers, the church, to know the Bible, to know the teachings of scripture. This was a devotion to a certain action. And this action was listening to the apostles and their teaching. Now many of us are amazed, I know I am, uh, that when I watch basketball, whether it's college or NBA, especially NBA because they have a little bit higher percentage in this regard. But, but these athletes run, they play defense, they play offense, they get tired, they're out of breath. And all of a sudden, tweet, there's a foul. Somebody has to go to the line and sink a free throw after everything that's going on, their arms, their legs, their bodies are tired, their minds are tired of thinking of what's going on. They step to a free throw and the NBA player at an 80% level sinks free throws as as if it's nothing. Well, they didn't get there by just deciding they were gonna learn to, to, they were just gonna show up that day that that this was something they naturally do. Somebody doesn't naturally be born as a good free throw shooter. I mean, if you ever seen Shaquille O'Neal shoot a free throw, you know that, that was, that's not happened by natural ability. But the basketball players spend time all the time, every practice, after practice, before practice. A lot of coaches make them run and get worn out to the point so that they, their bodies are worn out so then they're practicing free throws. They are devoted Purely to the task of sinking free throws. In the same way, these 3,000 baby Christians continually devoted to the task of understanding, knowing, and obeying God's word. Now, what was it that the apostles taught? This is a, a term, a didache, that, that as a theological word, the teaching of the, old, uh, of, the, um, of the apostles. What did they teach? Well, they taught the only Bible that they had at that point, the Old Testament. They taught the sayings of Jesus that Jesus revealed to them as they were, that, as they were with, them, with them and he traveled from place to place. They, they rehearsed it, or uh, again repeated the Sermon on the Mount. They, had, they talked about the final conversations they had with Jesus in the upper room. These new Christians, under the reign of the Holy Spirit, were hungry to learn more about Jesus and about God. You see, this hunger did not result in just head knowledge. But when the Spirit reigns, God's people continually study God's word so that they might live God's word. And that is the characteristic as we gather together in small groups. The point is to gather understanding, be deep in God's word. But the point is to that we live God's word that we challenge one another in this way. Once one pastor was introducing another pastor to his church and he was saying and bragging on his church how great a church it is, what a great Bible-believing church it was. And this other pastor responded, ah, but is it a Bible-living church? This is the question for all of us. John Stott observes, a spirit-filled church is a New Testament church in the sense that it studies and submits to the New Testament instruction. The Spirit of God leads the people of God to submit to the Word. You see, in our life groups, we're committed to God's Word and being in God's Word and understanding God's Word. But it would fall short if we don't live God's Word together. If we're not challenged and encouraged and prayed for to live what we know So committed, we must be committed to encouraging each other in the living of the word of God, which leads to number two, that we are matured through life groups by our devotion to fellowship. We are matured through life groups by our devotion to fellowship. Well, the next in the line here in verse 42, the apostles teaching and comma to the fellowship. The fellowship is very important to the life of the church. It is the, we see that as we read on that these Christians daily gathered, whether it was in the temple or whether it was homes, they were daily gathering. They were living life together. They were of the 24-7 types of Christians in relationships because they wanted that fellowship, the iron sharpening iron of other believers in their lives now, koinonia is a word fellowship that we, we see in scriptures and we talk about. Koinonia is the spirit of fellowship or the fellowship that can only happen when we are saved by grace that we have been inhabited by the Holy Spirit, that there is a deepened relationship in us because other, the other person has been saved by grace just like us. This fellowship is not superficial gathering around fried chicken and meringue pie. Instead, the fellowship of the church is based on a common love that believers have for the Lord and have for each other. First John 1 John 1.3, this is how he helped us to see the fellowship that comes from God. What we have seen, what we have heard, we declare to you, said that you may also fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, with his Son, Jesus Christ. You see, there is a fellowship that is birthed when we are born again. These 3,000 people were saved. They, They trusted Christ. They repented of their sins, and they were changed in that moment. And in that, a fellowship was born that they did not want to spend a day or a week without each other. So the Bible tells us that this fellowship has a power then to change our lives. You see, any, uh, someone can say uh, as we gather in life groups that we are gathered there that we might help each other. That when you're struggling in sin, that someone can, can gently say to you, Do you know, you know what you're doing is a sin that leads to death? Do you know what you're doing? I understand it's hard and you need help. Let me pray and encourage you as you walk out of this sin. Our life groups are to be grounded in the word of God, not neglecting it, but the scripture that we use to talk to one another is to help encourage us and help us grow. In this, mask come off. Conversations get deep. Hearts get vulnerable. Lives are shared. Accountability is invited. And tenderness flows. And it results, what we see is a, is a common sharing of life together. You see, as we read through this, we see that, that people began to, sh- to sell off things as any have a need. You know, the culture, those who are not Christians would try to argue this to be some sort of a biblical representative of, of some sort of socialistic endeavor, but that is not what was happening here. This was the Christians, the body of Christ, there would be a member or, or, a, or a body part, so to speak, a, a family member, a church member would have a need. They would, they would have an injury and they couldn't, they couldn't work in the field or, or they had lost their job because they, uh, their, their work because they had professed Christ. These people were losing things because of their proclamation of following a risen Jesus. And the church said, well, we're not going to let you suffer by yourself. We're going to do what it needs to take care of each other. And so when anyone has a need, it said, they shared. The the same word for fellowship is a sharing. 2 Corinthians 9.13 says, because the proof provided by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel and for your generosity and sharing with them and with everyone. Do you have a group that you share your lives with? Do you have a a group that you share your failures, your misunderstandings, that you reveal your sin and seek the answer from the word together? I've shared this story before, but I know that it's important and imperative that we do that type of sharing together. When I was in Virginia in one of my life groups, I had a a, a man who was in it who was a boss and he shared with us that he had a frustration at work this week and how he had torn into his employees and how he needed to show them who's boss. And I just gently asked him, said, you know, I know that you're the boss, but do you think there was a better way that as a Christian you could have got your point across to those people that you work with. He said, oh, yeah, you know, just sometimes, you know, he just kind of, oh, you know, you gotta be the boss, you gotta be tough, you know, they'll take it, they'll be fine. It was funny because Thursday came around and he, uh, we met on Friday nights and then we, there was the following Thursday, he said, Sean, you, what you said has been in my mind all week. I said, well, it wasn't me. It was the Holy Spirit. Don't don't give it to me. But he said, he said, I apologize to this employee yesterday because I understood that I am a Christian and representing Christ and God wherever I am. And that I need to understand that there are better ways. And so I asked him to forgive me. We talked about the problem and we talked about solutions going forward. So how do we hold each other accountable and apply the word together? Well, we do it by sharing life together. So number three, as a result of that shared life, we are to mature through life groups by our devotion to prayer, our devotion to prayer. Uh, The last part of verse 42 is to prayer. Whenever these Christians met together, whether it was for homes, for a meal, they would spend time in prayer. Uh, They praised God, but they did so in prayer. They were not content with merely speaking to one another. They also talked to Jesus Christ together. During the late second century, Hyrenius wrote this The church does not perform anything by means of angelic intervention or were invocations, or any other wicked, curious act, but by directing her prayers to the Lord, who has made all things in a pure, sincere, and straightforward spirit, and calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, she has been accustomed to work miracles for the advantage of mankind. You see, he understood and observed, even in the second century, what his Brethren, in the first century had started that it was the power of prayer together is what moved God and moved the world and was the power for the believer. We understand that the success of the early church, if you study Luke's uh, writing of Acts, is this. They prayed together. Just do a short little, uh, just walk through of how many times they talk about prayer. They prayed together in the upper Room. Fast forward a little bit longer. Peter and uh, James were in prison. They prayed together and God shook the room. When they were selecting the first proto-deacons or the, the first leaders, what did they do? Pray together. You go through and you understood that God moved through prayer. But not just the church. Think about Jesus' ministry. Look at Luke's, Luke's gospel. It begins his ministry in prayer in, in Luke chapter 3, verse 21. Before his healings, he prayed. In chapter 5, before choosing the 12. In chapter 6, before the transfiguration. In chapter 9, and in verse 20, in chapter 23, he died with a prayer on his lips. You see, it is the prayer that powered our Savior. It is the prayer that powers his church and behold, it is the church that prays, that works together. In a time when prayer meetings have become something of a select few, it is important to make sure that as we are gathered, we are praying. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins with one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Brothers and sisters, we move forward in the work of God, but we move together forward on our knees. We walk on our knees. It was this way in the past and it must be that way in the future. The powerless, prayerless church will be a powerless church. The question we must ask ourselves, is our life group characterized by our praying together? Or is it a tag on to our time? I've been convicted personally of growth in prayer. I've been convicted and reminded that the church must be in the house of prayer. I'm so thankful that we've begun this time of prayer at 9.15 on Sunday mornings and Pastor Mark and I were talking that we can actually see and and see God at work once that prayer started that things have changed God is listening so are you praying brother and sister as a family of faith are we committed to praying for one another because in the early church maturity happens when we learn to trust God together and when we trust God together He molds us and matures us. Fourthly and finally, maturity through life groups results in a noticeable joy. As we look down through the text, we see a couple different examples of this. Every day they... um, Everyone was filled with all many wonders and signs were being performed. Later on that they ate, uh, verse 46, that they, uh, they ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. What was one of the kind of tangible results of being together with other believers, where it was resulting in joy, Unlike too many local churches that whose motto could be the killing fields, this church justly was called the caring place. They were filled with awe and joy and sincere hearts that the fellowship changed the life of the believers to hold on to joy, to persevere, to be stronger together because of what God was doing among them. You see, there's these understanding and knowing that many times that we we can think our way through Christianity or we can feel our way through Christianity some people say we need to feel and live experiential some people say that we need to live with our minds but it's in the understanding of the scripture both of these come together that there's an understanding that we know God's word that we we live in God's word, that God's word directs our experiences and results in a life filled with joy. We have experienced in this church just this last year a lot of loss, a lot of hurt, a lot of pain. But when I see brothers and sisters in Christ, even though that they have a mask up, I see their eyes smiling. When we gather together in life groups, we see a joy that is palpable because we are united in Christ. I was speaking to a church member on the phone the other day, one of our seniors who had struggled and had some recent loss. And she said, said, Sean, the shared thing for me that helped me get through this is I have this deep connection with this other woman in our church. When I'm struggling, I call her up And she prays for me and she helps me to see the other side of my pain. She reminds me to count the joys in my life instead of seeing the pain I've experienced. She said, Sean, I remembered that song, count your many blessings, name them one by one. And she said, when I start to do that, I realize that I don't have enough time to count my blessings. And it makes me forget all the loss or any loss that I've experienced because there's so much blessing. This is the joy that she receives from her friend and faithful relationship with her. This joy should emanate through the Christian life that communicates to the world that there's something different about Christ. There's something more hopeful and fulfilling that you in the world don't see or don't experience. There's something greater now, the result of joy that God has used to save people. Martin Lloyd-Jones observed this. There's only one thing in this world that can make people really happy. And that is the truth that these people in Jerusalem believed. They did not only accept it with their minds, they, they were moved, they were happy, they were released and joyful. The Holy Spirit in whom the Christian believes is characterized by love, joy, and happiness. The very things the world stands so much in need of. The world knows so little, but these people knew. In the face of persecution and possible death, they were alive with joy and they had been in the mark of a true Christian in all eras and periods ever since. Can thinking people be truly happy in a world with bombs and a sin and shame? No, they cannot. There's only one way to find happiness, and that is to be separated from this world into this other life in which you see the world and beyond and know the glory that is coming. You see, it is that relationship with others that infuses in us the hope and glory of the, of the world and heaven to come. It is in those relationships with one another that we grow in fellowship. The impact of meeting together is a joy that is palpable to the world and to us. Warren Weersby noted, Christians you meet in the book of Acts were not content to meet once a week for service as usual. They met daily, cared daily, won souls daily, searched the scriptures daily, and increased in numbers daily. So how do you want to be part of the church? Do you want to be even a lone ranger within the church? A one who just slips in, slips out, doesn't... See any connection to other believers at all? Or do you want to see in this rich, joyful relationship that comes by being committed to a time of other believers? Some of us right now are having to meet on Zoom. And I I would say that even that is a better option than never meeting with other believers. Do you need to join a church? Do you need to say, I'm committed to these people because I know they will be committed to me? Do you need to ask Jesus to be in your heart. Do you need to repent of your sins and be changed? Do you need to commit to a life group? Well today that's what we're asking you. Be, are you meeting with one on campus on Sunday mornings, or are you meeting throughout the week? What area does your group need to grow in more? Life group leader? Brothers and sisters, of how we are to grow is growing together in small groups. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask today that we're thankful for this reminder in your word, but help us to know and desire not just in that we're checking off a list, but instead that we are growing and sincerely wanting to be mature in our faith, which means setting aside ourselves and being committed to others. I pray, Lord, that, that everyone here first knows you as savior and lord and if that is the case i know the desire in them would be to be with other people of faith so i pray that you would draw them into small groups and and grow them be with all of our life group leaders and and how they lead we're so thankful for them and and the time and commitment that they give to one another in their group i pray lord that as we gather as your people that in it we would grow mature that we would be more faithful, We we would grow in knowledge, that we would be more obedient to sharing the gospel, but in it would produce a joy and assurance because we're filled with other believers who love you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.